Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. This is your old uncle Stamford Chidge in a... Well, I, I hesitate to say studio because it's my office, but I can tell you it's a balmy, balmy 32 degrees here, but we're all good. Now, as you know, this is not the normal Chelsea Fancast. No, this is something a bit different for... Well, really, in, in last lockdown, in March, back in March, because we didn't have anything to talk about specifically, and we don't ever... Just like doing podcasts, and we don't really, if we haven't got anything to say, don't say it. It's a good piece of advice for anybody, really. So, we came up with another idea, and that was to uh, record uh, a 50 years of Chelsea's history. And as it was the 50th anniversary of the FA Cup win at the time, we thought we'd go from that year. And we have been doing that ever since, apart from when the football came back, when we actually started talking about the football again. So we've kind of restarted it in the off-season, and we are now at a very interesting season, 1994 to 1995. Some, something of a kind of a, a launchpad season, in a way. But uh, we will be talking more about that in a minute. But before I do that, I've got some wonderful people on the show, as always, uh, starting with none other than the efficacious... Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Efficacious. Does that mean I cure people? You do. You've cured my bad mood already with our off-air talk. My, my soft words, my words of care, my uh, my words of... My soothing balm-like words. Is that what that's all about? Well, you made me laugh. when Before oh, yeah, we went on air, you made me hoot with laughter. And that is a balm for all ills, mate, oh, I can tell you. Thank you very much. Lovely to be called. Thank you very much. Lovely to be on the show, as always. Who have we as got as on, JK? Well, I'm supposed to, you've put me on the spot now because it's um, it's uh, it's the fantastic uh, to start off with. Um, um, I, I called him rather foolishly the other day, uh, um, fish brain, which is not what I meant at all. I meant man, man, such a brilliant brain that he clearly he eats a lot of fish. But I've I've done that one to death, so I'll just go the uh, um, the uh, the the uh, he's a compendium. He is a walking compendium oh, yes. of events and. Um, mirthful moments in the past which without him this show would not be the show that it is because he is um, in fact I I would bow down and just listen to his stories and then um, leap him with the odd laugh and I, as I do normally I normally say oh god I've forgotten all about that Mark oh my goodness so um, the pressure is on but already he has sent us a bunch of notes that are just phenomenal for the season so uh, um, without him we would just be uh, boring um, well uh, that's the word <laughs> dull, as, dull as fuck we would be anyway, so we've got the great the great Mark Reed, who I honestly say but I can honestly tell you Mark each time you're on and the more that you know the more inadequate I feel and the more the more that I just completely bow down to your excellence I mean quite fantastic you, as well as being a complete and utter knowledge you are such a wonderful supporter of the club I just completely i'm sorry there's far too much eulogy going on here but at the same time i i am uh, uh, i'm i'm constantly taken aback by these stories and your dressing up and your ability to 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 come up with 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 uh, just great gags and ideas for the, what was what happened in the past and also things that i've seen not knowing that you were the instigator of it is it is quite remarkable so if i was wearing a hat i would doff it to you and that's enough grovelling and blowing smoke up your ass. But there you are; it's you're on. 
Thank you very much, Jonathan. You've set a very high bar already this <laughs> evening. <laughs> and I've just had my dinner, and I can assure you, I did have fish this evening. Uh, yes, it's it's, always be it's become a it. Monday routine. I've got to have fish on a Monday now. <laughs> Most Catholics would have fish on a Friday. I now have fish on a Monday because I'm doing the Vanguard. <laughs> Great to be on. Really looking forward to dissecting the 94-5 season. And yes, I've, I've got a few stories tonight as well. Hopefully to share with people listening in on Mixler. And of course, we now have as well, without the come down, we wouldn't have any Instagram. And uh, um, and he's uh, he's a youth in comparison with us oldies, and he comes in with a freshness and an effervescence that is denied to us by our appalling longevity. And it is, of course, the magnificent Dame Whittle, who I have to say, is wearing the sh uh, an away shirt we'll be talking about. And what I love about him, he looks absolutely fantastic in this shirt. I know we're on radio and you can't see it, but it makes me realize actually that of all the shirts, this one has a great value as something to wear, not only to prove that you were around in that period and have been supporting the club since that period or before, but actually it's 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 so different to anything else that's ever <laughs> been that is it is it is a great piece. It's something to wear, I think, almost regularly to a game. And uh, I'm not if I'm not allowed to wear it where I sit at the bridge, but I think you they wouldn't know. I could wear it and persuade them that it was just a, a wonderful piece of sportswear that I was wearing. But we won't give the game away as to what the colours are. But anyway, um Dane, how lovely to be on the show with you again. Fantastic. Oh thank you. Even yes, yeah, one of the old you can tell it's the old style because they always used to come down to the elbow, so I've had to uh roll up the sleeves, which obviously the viewers can't see. But no, no, it's lovely to be on. I, you know, I was a teenager at this season. I remember a lot about it and echoing a lot what what you said about Mark, Jesus Christ, we could do a night with him, an evening with Mark and sell tickets, couldn't we? Yeah. What a I good idea. Mark, this is exactly what you should be doing. <laughs> this is exactly what you should be doing. Quite phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal stuff. Anyway. If, I had, if I had an idea how YouTube worked and I haven't got a bloody clue, <laughs> well, I'd, you, I'd whack it on YouTube. Maybe we should do that. But I mean, I mean, to be fair, and I don't mean to cut across you, Dane, and I just wanted to say this before I, before I do cut across you, it's so lovely to see you again. It seems like ages since we last saw you, and you're looking very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So you guys, yeah, it's always lovely being on with you lot. Always said I'm in awe of you lot, so it's such a pleasure to come on, and if I give anything interesting, then that's a bonus as well. well. Unlike me, mate, you were there for most of this season, and that's for sure. Now, um, Mark uh, has, of course, done quite a few books, so... Uh, you know, it's not as though he hasn't got a few of these stories out there, or I have a suspicion that I don't think he's done a book on this period, have you? No, I haven't actually, no. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, there's probably a book on that. Yeah. Oh, no, Chris Wright has done the book on the Hoddle era. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, I, yeah. I, I tweeted uh, Chris the other week when he yeah. was, he mentioned some, I think he, you know, made a comment under, you know, my post about the show. And I said, Chris, we're indebted to you because it's been great. You know, he's covering exactly this period in this book. And I, I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd happily, happily uh, give uh, Chris a plug for his books. It's brilliant. But it's called Blue Days, The Transformation of Chelsea Under Hoddle, Hullet and Viali by Chris Wright. And of course, of course, it can only be published by one company. It's the it's a Gate 17 publication, but I'm sure you can get it from Amazon. And uh, as Marco always says, lots of good bookshops and some pretty rubbish ones too. So there you go. Uh, now, um, there we go. So me, JK, Mark Meehan, the lovely Dane Whittle uh, are going to go on a roller coaster ride down the memory lane that is 1994-95. Now, before we do that, I mean, as, Dane, as JK was actually alluding to a minute ago, um, 
with uh, with the Dane's shirt. Uh, we always kick off these kind of retrospective shows with a look at what kit the team were wearing. And the interesting thing is that um, really it hasn't the home kit hasn't changed much at all since the last year, apart from of course one very important change, which is it's now got cores. Uh, which I have to say really confused me at the time. I wasn't sure whether it said cools or or what or coos. It was very unclear to me because I had no idea. Why would I know that there was an American lager named Coors? Because I don't I don't drink that muck. I drink proper lager. Anyway, J.K. To be fair, there was a, an advertising campaign on the box at the time which was pushing Coors. Uh, so it did uh, for those of us who watch TV and went to the matches. It was pretty pretty easy to make the. Well, I, I hate if you were doing neither at the time, which I'm getting. Well, suspect. I, you know what? You know, whilst I'm shit at remembering where I was and what football matches I was at uh, 30 years ago, I know exactly what I would have been drinking. Yes. And it wouldn't have been this much. Sorry, allegedly. No, much. no, it would. I was I was probably I mean, I remember uh, around actually, no, because by this time I'm married and buggered off out of London. But early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Um, when I was living in Lots Road, I, I was certainly drinking Holston, Holston Export, and we used to do, um, we used to because we were so bored basically, you know, none none of us were married, you know, so Friday night we would do the Holston Export and Wild Turkey nights, so we would start at one end of Fulham or Kings Road, and just have a pint or two and a couple of Wild Turkey chasers. And just work our way down all of the bars. And it used to get... Invariably, one of us would usually get arrested or thumped. If we did it on a Saturday and we weren't going to the match, and we ended up in the Black Bull, one of my mates... I, I know one of my mates got thumped there one night. He look, he looks like Rodney off Only Fools and Horses. He's a lovely bloke. I love him to pieces. And he was innocent as the day is long. But my mate John T, who was as guilty as the day is long, would always get one of us into trouble. And that night, Mark got thumped in the black ball, probably by somebody I know now, which is the huge irony of it. But there you go. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, we, this is the thing with this show. Cause was also, they were selling it in um, the bars as well, Chidge. Yes, were they? So all in all, yes, it was difficult to get away from what it was. But you know time. you know that this is kind of, you know, you know, you know that, um, you know, dear old Winston Churchill had that period in the kind of early 30s that they call the wilderness years yes well this was my wilderness years for Chelsea yes yes you know I have to say it's slightly my wilderness years because despite having a season ticket I couldn't remember any of the games at all that I watched which is worrying I I completely worrying I remember McClare scoring the third goal uh, for United putting me into complete despair after we got back to 2-2 at the home game but all the others, uh, they're only sort of flashes of memory. So I'm waiting for Mark to say something, and I will then go, oh, God, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Hold it, hold it, hold it for a second. Let me get through the kits. Yeah, sorry. Okay, because yeah. I, I, I'm just saying this is the beauty of these shows. I'm supposed to be telling you all about the kits, and me and JK have already meandered off on some personal bloody anecdote and story. And this is, no, this no, is no, but to be fair, we, we, we went via cause. Which we did, I know, fair. but that's just so to we Go on, I'm going to let Mark come in, and then I'm going to carry on with the kits. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to be a bit of information about Cause. They actually <laughs> came from the same family as the Scottish and Newcastle Brewery. So Cause is obviously, as we know, an American American lager. But actually, it was brewed in the UK by Scottish and Newcastle, who brew who brew and still do Newcastle Brown. You know, so I have not seen Cause lager since the '95 season, and it was an awful lager. But I've seen it recently; it's come back. 
Yes. I've seen, yeah, I've seen it in pubs recently, and, and as an advertising came, it, that's it, that's it, Dane, Cause Light. Yeah, it's mm. Cause Light they're selling in the pubs now, and I, I hadn't seen it for years, and it's it's resurrected itself as well. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, pissy lager, yeah, real, real <laughs> dreadful drink. I, I don't know if it's any better now. You know, I think I might have had one pint in the Matty Harding Low in 94, never again. I thought the idea was that you had proper cause and then you had cause light and you could go oh this is the light version not just putting out light you've got no idea what to compare it with have you well you know it was muck uh anyway the, the, obviously we got we got cause on the on the uh the home shirt now uh otherwise the kit looks pretty much the same the interesting thing is we we have a slightly different kit for europe um i can't really see what the difference is it looks exactly the same Somebody will tell me in a minute. I mean, I know we wore, we wore white socks rather than the white socks with the red and blue flashings, as they like to say. Mark, you've got an answer for this. Uh, well, I've got to add a thing as well. Yes, it, is, it was only the white socks that's different. But the other thing about this season as well, because we talked last week about wearing red socks away mm, from yeah, home. Yeah. But there was a lot of away games this year where we wore completely blue. Yeah, we blew, we wore white socks at home. We wore blue socks in a lot of away games this season. So it was almost like mirroring sort of like what we what we did in the late sixties, the nineteen sixty seven cup mm. final against Tottenham. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. So basically, Cause have replaced Amiga as a shirt sponsor for three seasons. But of course, the big news this season is, I mean, it's it's so funny. I mean, it is it is known as the Marmite kit because either you loved it or you hated it. Dane has got. Uh, Got, got it on tonight, got the shirt on tonight. But 1994 saw the launch of the Tangerine and Graphic, Graphite, not Graphite, not Graphic even, Tangerine and Graphite kit, chosen as it wouldn't, This is, I didn't know this, but apparently it was chosen as it wouldn't clash with anyone else. That's why we only had one away kit that season. In fact, it lasts for two seasons. It was, it was from 94 to 96. Um... And anyway, apparently the club had released three kits in the last year or two and they didn't want to like, can you believe this? It's never happened now. They didn't want to stiff us with another shirt. Mark's po- poking his nose. He doesn't, he's not buying that at all. <laughs> Go on, Mark. Uh, no, the, the thing I was going to add is the story at the time, is, uh, and, and it is my mate, and I have to say I hated it at the time. But as the years have gone by, I really like it now. I think it's I'm, a classic I'm kit. Exactly the same as you, Mark. Yeah, exactly. uh, a, a, a classic kit. But the story at the time was, the kit came from Terry Byrne. Yeah. Ter- Terry Byrne was the kit man at Chelsea at the time. He went on to be David Beckham's agent. Uh, and he got and really, a... really drunk, had a couple of acid tabs, and then designed a kit. <laughs> well, not quite. I think they had a number of examples that were showed to them by Umbro at the time. And rather than can actually consulting with fans, you know, so again, from a from marketing point of view, you've got three away kits as a design. Why don't you sort of contact all season ticket holders and members and say which is the best one? The most popular one would therefore sell the most shirts. Allegedly, Terry Byrne, because he was the kit man, so who did the club ask? They asked the guy that looked after the kits what was the best one, and, and he went for the graphite and tangerine. Now, I have no idea if that is true, but that was a lovely rumour at the time. Well, there we Thanks go. Well, it, it, was, it was met with universal detestation, wasn't it? Let's be honest, it really was. Everybody went, oh, my goodness, what is that kit? Oh, wow, what? But then the reality is, as, as I was saying earlier, it's so individual that you actually think now, you think, bloody hell, that's great. I'd love to wear that. No, I, wear I, that. I, 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 still, I still think it looks like sick. Dane, <laughs> oh, <okay>. you're wearing <laughs> it and you, and, and you love it, don't you? I know you do because we've had this chat before. It looks good, yeah, isn't it? Actually, like, 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 you know, like the other two said, I, I think I originally just bought it at the time because 
it was what you did you know i was i was young i was a teenager you bought the home shirt you bought i think i already had the home shirt from the previous year that had a uh, commodore uh, amiga on it so then you, this actually was our new shirt so i just bought it i haven't shown it much love over the years actually and it's like like you lot have said i've just sort of it's just been in the drawer and it's only in recent years i've actually really started to uh to appreciate it and and just seeing the worth of it on uh on, on ebay and just the the demand for it on on twitter people you know the young the youngsters tend to really like it and there's lots of really good actually actually replicas made of it and uh i've never actually worn it worn it to a game i don't think uh, uh it's, it's, it's different you can even tell because it's, i think it was the first time that we had the uh apart from the badge we had the sponsor and the umbro sign within the shirt so it's not been like ironed on or stitched on it. It's with within the shirt. I don't think we'd ever had that before, which was it, it was weird. It was it was it's almost like a, a US shirt. It was a yeah. it's yeah. big though. You can see it's big, mate. I'm, I mean, you can still fit into it, mate. Jesus, I, I, I mean, I, I can't fit into shirts I had three years ago, let alone you know thirty. But I mean, you know, it it, it was certainly distinctive. You know what? I mean, I think it's funny how 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 this kit thing works, isn't it? Because when I see that kit, and I mean, I know we're, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a bit because it's next year, but when I see that kit, I see Rude Hullet. Mm. And, and I think that's what ferments people's love of a kit in their heads. They associate it with certain players. So, for example, when I see the a couple of years down the road, you know, the neck, I can't remember what, 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 you, what you would call it, but it, it was the blue shirt with the collar and a lot of yellow flashings. I see Viali. When I see the yellow one of that, I see Zola. You know, so I think we we associate kits with players, and that's why we love them. J.K. When I see this kit, I think of Paul Furlong. Yeah. When I see the other kit, I think of Mark Hughes. Yeah. It's just interesting how we yeah. have certain different icons yeah. that we look at, or non-icons, because I don't look at this kit because I associated it with not being something I like very much. Um, uh, you'd, you'd think we're going to get onto it, but the videos. It was interesting watching Furlong early on. It was um, mm, all right. We, we, we will, as you said. We will, as you said. So there you go. I mean, perhaps, arguably. I mean, I, I don't know if you lot agree with this, but I think it's probably the most distinctive kit we've ever had by a country mile, right? Even, I mean, that that outranks the yellow with black stripes and the, and the the. I got that one as well. <laughs> yeah, and the red diamonds. I think that's second, I think that's second, and the other one's third. I think this is the top one. I really. Do. What about the the uh, the Castrol GTX kit? It's a great kit. It's a great kit. It wasn't worn often enough. No. Really. Here we but go. Yeah, that's, that, I think that's possibly the most aesthetically pleasing kit, the Castrol GTX. Kit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Okay, enough of kits. We've done them to death. Now, as you probably know by now, and if you don't, you're hearing this for the first time. Now, we've partnered with 3Retro.com on our 50 Years of Chelsea series, and they've got a superb collection of Chelsea retro gear. I think they might even have this this particular away uh, kit, but without looking, I can't tell you for sure. But anyway, they're offering 10% off when you use the 3Retro10 code. That is the code, 3Retro10. And if you order over £50 of merch, you get free UK delivery. Uh, if you want to know what the... I mean, you need to use the link that we put up to get this offer. So uh, if you go to our Twitter and Facebook post when I put this show, uh, you know, promote the show on there, you'll find the link to 3 Retro there. Okay, and, and talking of kits, actually, I might as well get this plug in there right now. But uh, as you probably know, we've been doing a lot of work with uh, football uh, prizes, okay, who... Uh, basically have a draw every week uh 
pretty much every week to you know you pay about you know four or five quid and you get entered into a draw and if you win the draw you win a signed framed shirt and i have to tell you this week is just stupendous particularly when you consider what happened only just over a week ago uh, but uh, they've got a Gianluca Vialli signed and framed shirt. Gianluca Vialli signed and framed shirt. And of course, you know, he, he, he was uh, with Italy, wasn't he, when they won the European Championship. Now, the entry for this is £4.95. There's a maximum of 99 tickets. I've got no idea how many are left right now. But they do tend to go like hotcakes. And the entry, or the, the, the latest time to get on it, is Wednesday 7.30pm on the 21st of July. So this is this Wednesday. And again, it's pinned on the Chelsea Fancast Twitter page at the moment. But if you want the link, it's footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash Viali. And of course, it is in fact the shirt that I was talking about. The uh, the kind of blue, different shades of blue stripes with the little yellow flashings. And that for me, that shirt smells of Gianluca Viali. And I can tell you that the smell is beautiful and aromatic. Anyway, right, we need to go and talk about 94.95 now, which we're going to do. Now, um, as always, we start with a few ins and outs. The ins this year, uh, as JK was alluding to, um, big signing for us, actually. Um, You know, we got Paul Furlong. I mean, I say big. I mean, big because we spent lots of money on him because he was from Watford, which doesn't sound too hot. But we signed Paul Furlong for £2.3 We signed Scotty Minto, who had been after for a while. Uh, from Charlton for 775 grand. Paul Hughes uh, got promoted from the youth. And interestingly, uh, David Rowcastle, kind of former Arsenal legend, was a hell of a player when he was playing for them, for sure. We bought him from Man City for £1,250,000. Out went Tony Cascarino, which is kind of a shame because I thought Cass had played quite, quite well to the back end of last season. He went to Marseille for free. Mal Donaghy retired, and uh, I I would be interested to hear what the boys say about this, but I was quite disappointed that Neil Shipley uh, went to Southampton for £1.2 because, again, he was starting to look quite good for us. Uh, the furlong uh, transfer fee was a record for us at the time. But, uh, um, boys, I mean, JK, what did, what, I mean, you mentioned furlong. I mean, were you, were you filled with excitement at his arrival? Well, yeah, I, as always, I'm like a little boy at the beginning of every season. You think, blimey, he's, you know, 2,300,000 is going to be pretty big. And he was a, a large unit. And uh, uh, as we will discover, his initial form was absolutely excellent. And you thought, wow, we bought, we bought a, a pretty good player there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was impressed. I was disappointed with Cascarino going to Marseille, uh, like you, because I thought I he was. played pretty well towards the end of yeah. the season. And... Um, um, I mean, Shipperley went halfway through, and I didn't understand that either because he looked really rather a decent player. But um, well, uh, as we'll find out later, we'll of course, he, out. he scores yeah. against us when of course, when we play Southampton. Typically, that's inevitable. But um, am I allowed to talk about Roadcastle as well? I mean, I thought yeah, the, yeah, uh, there's time to yeah, talk thought, about the transfers. Yeah, yeah, I thought the um, once again the the first few games of the season he was fantastic, really fantastic, and um, uh, I thought, wow, they've got they've got a real combination of players here that um that is uh that is going to set the league alight i mean you know? i'm just gonna i'm gonna bring mark in in a second i'm just gonna say one thing which 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 is a very easy thing to say in hindsight uh you know 30 years of it i i, I look at though i mean at the time i was very excited that that we'd got rocky actually because i thought he was a, a superb player i was very disappointed that we got rid of um tony cascarino 
but in hindsight, I'm looking at it, I'm going, well, that's not, you know, Hoddle's in charge, he's had a year. Those are not the kind of signings that are going to set us alight. If you think about it, a few it's years before, good. you know, we bought, I know it was absolutely awful, but we bought Robert Fleck, Andy Townsend, people like this, you know, well, you know, well-established, really quality Premier League players by now. Of course, next season it, it kind of changes, and then the next season and the season after that it really goes up a gear. But I think you look back in hindsight, and I'm thinking, well, that's actually a bit disappointing, really. But he still spent, he still spent four million. I know, I know. So, you know, and I think the major one was he obviously Hoddle said, "I want to, I want to send a forward. I, I want know. something yeah. in a ball in the net who isn't isn't Cascarino." Um, I mean, in, in the end, I would have if we'd have kept Cascarino, who was playing really well, who seemed to be. Ultimately, a better player than Furlong. But we, we, you know, we, we, I mean, the other interesting thing when we compare it to now is that we did have a lot of good young players coming through, and they they were coming through, and we had a pretty good squad already. He then didn't play them though. Did I he? know, but well, Bur- Burley, Burley certainly made a few. Well, you know, but da- Dow and but Dow I mean, I'm, I mean, Arnold yeah, but hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm, what I'm talking about, not necessarily coming through this season, but I mean, if you think that Burley was coming through. Frank yeah, yeah. Sinclair had come through, Eddie Newton had come through. You know, we'd had quite a lot of youngsters who had come through and really now established players in the team. I'm going to have a quick chat with Dane to see what he thinks about the transfers and I'm going to go back to Mark because I know Mark wanted to come in on something. So, Dane, what was your feelings about the transfers in and out? I was quite optimistic. I know, uh, we obviously, we'd, we'd lost the cup final, but I was coming into the season, you, you could sort of try and see what Hodder was trying to do. I believe Furlong had a good season. It was in the division below with Watford, um, he scored 19 goals. I yeah, think. and uh, and even David Rocastle. I know David Rocastle had struggled at uh, Man City and Leeds, but I was in awe of him because he was my era. He was a champion, and we didn't have a lot of champions yeah. who who came to Chelsea. You know, this was a league winner. Uh, I thought it was an ambitious sign. In in hindsight, now I think he, he had he had injuries which ended the career at Leeds and then Man City, and they sort of caught up with him at Chelsea. But similar to similar to Hoddle. You could just see his class on the game every now and again, and and as a, as I said, as a seventeen year old supporting Chelsea, we didn't have those 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 league title winners. Uh, Furlong, yeah, I was optimistic. I, you know, he, similar to Tammy, uh, I think you know he he, he would make good runs. He, he used to make good runs down the wing, which would allow you know Wise, Spencer, or, you know Steen, give them space. It would take the centre backs out of positions. Uh, he had a good start and a good end. Uh, but I, I wasn't, yeah, very optimistic. It's Scott Minto as well, a very attacking left back, probably like Lasso ahead of his time. Uh, you know, these would have been really good left backs, you know, uh, 10, 15 years later. And uh, I knew a few teams were after him. He was at a good age. If you think, I think Scott Minto was 22, 23. Again, Rowcastle, although we was, you know, we, we was talking about his injuries and his struggles. He was still only 27, uh, which was a good age, furlong 26. So, I was optimistic with these signings, but you were you were right, Chidge. A couple of seasons before, when we bought Fleck, you know, a lot of teams were after him. We did that stupid deal with Tottenham, where we didn't bid for Sheringham and they didn't bid for. Oh, sorry, we didn't bid for Sheringham, they didn't bid for Fleck, and obviously we got them. But it'd be interesting to know if Mark or, or you guys knew if we was obviously I can't remember at the time if we were if we were close or interested in getting someone else or any deals fell through because obviously you know there so many deals fall through each year that we don't hear about. Mark? No, that, I thought I agree with Dan. They, they were good buys. You know, in terms of the transfer window, there was a lot of talk about Furlong at the time because of the goals he'd got the previous season. You know, he'd got 19 goals. So the, I think there was high hopes for Furlong and there was other clubs after him as well. 
and obviously we talked about last week's show about people being sued by Ken Bates for speculating that, Kevin forbid, he was actually involved in any transfers. This did look like Glenn Hoddle transfers. He got the players he wanted. You know, I joked last week that we bought the wrong Charlton left-back. Well, actually, we bought the right Charlton left-back this time. You know, Minto was a player of talent and promise. And actually, Rowcastle was a class act, you know, and Hoddle would have known him, you know, you know, so th- these are Glenn Hoddle chances, and, and on on the surface they were they were good players. You know, Furlong, you know, J.K. Furlong started really well. He he, he played with both feet. You know, yeah, you know, he was good in the air. He was good first touch. So there was a lot riding on Furlong being a success. The only paranoia would be with our track record with Fleck. There probably was a few nervous Chelsea fans thinking, well, you know, have have we got a top class striker? Or have we got another Robert Fleck? And obviously during the course of the season, over the next couple of hours, we will probably debate. You know the highs and lows of Paul Furlong's sort of ninety-three-four season. I know. I can't wait. I can't. I, know, I. I've got the notes, as you all have too, and I know what you said. So I can't wait for that little bit to come in. Uh, Mark, there was another uh, bit of kind of, I mean, strange business in a way, in the pre-season, wasn't there? Uh, which is worth talking about. Oh, this is this is really sad. Yeah, mm. we talked about it on a pre- previous show, uh, and obviously, you know, the events of Anfield that day, you know, with Dean Saunders. Well. Paul Elliott took out his private prosecution against Saunders, and, and sadly, you know, he was not successful. Uh, and okay, we haven't got time to go through all the people who provided evidence either for Saunders or for Elliott, you know. But you know, but cl- clearly, sorry, there's a there's a phone ringing. <laughs> it's the same ringtone as mine. I thought I nearly went to grab my phone then. That freaked me yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully someone will answer. It's it. Ken Bates on the phone, mate. Yeah, it's, Ken Bates doing, yeah. ring, it's Ken Bates <laughs> ringing me again. Yeah. 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 Your message after Thank you. No, Everybody be quiet. Not... Everybody be quiet oh, no, so we can get, hear Mark's get, message. Get, get the message. It probably says you haven't paid your tax bill or so, something like that. Oi, so, Mian, about that, about what you said about me in 1994, mate. Yeah, he's picked up the phone and rang me just now. <laughs> but, you know, back to this sort of serious point. You, you had to feel for Paul Elliott. You know, he, he failed in his court case. And obviously, if you lose in the court, you've got to pick up the cost of the other party. Uh, and he didn't just sue Dean Saunders, he sued Liverpool as well. So he had to pick up Liverpool's costs, Saunders' costs. Uh, but obviously he was insured. It, back then, players didn't take out private insurance. I bet they probably do now. Credit to Chelsea. You know, they actually sort of got £1.4 million for the end of Paul Elliott's career. And they gave 700000 to him. So that was a Bates thing. So well done. At did, did that cover that. the cost, Mark? Uh, I think it probably did, you know, but yeah, n- n- nonetheless, like he, he, he really took a caning with court costs. They are very expensive mm-hmm. lawyers. But I, th- I think, you know, the sad part about it is some of the, the statements made by Judge Drake at the time, you know, um, like Patrick Barkley, very good journalist. His evidence was that Saunders tackle in his viewpoint as a journalist watching football for many years were not just illegal. It was dangerous. But the judge says, like, you know, Saunders, in his view, having watched the evidence, jumped in to avoid injury. And Elliot was injured as a result of his own tackle on Saunders. You know, that was bad enough. But then, obviously, as given evidence, and we talked about it, you know, on a previous show, that David Lee done Saunders afterwards. And fair play to Rodney for doing that, you know. But the judge said if David Lee had intended to do Saunders, he'd have made a better job of it. Well, actually, I thought he made a bloody good job of giving Saunders a kick in. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get a broken, yeah. a broken leg, though. So, but, uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, so basically, so is the judge basically saying David Lee needed to break Saunders' leg, neck, and the rest of him to actually have done a proper job on him? Um, but, you know, Judge Drake basically said, you know, the case was hopeless, but Elliot was a true gentleman. Well, I don't think the case was hopeless. I think most people at Anfield there that day 
saw how bad that tackle was. You know, so you know, heart goes out to Paul Elliott. But obviously, as I said previous show, the gentleman that he is, he's moved on. He doesn't bear grudges now. You know, he's living his life now, and Dean Saunders doesn't come into the equation. But very sad that obviously he lost the case. Yeah. Well, without getting kind of. Uh into the realms of uh, defamation uh, Saunders has certainly had a few more brushes with judges since and amen to that <laughs> I think I can I say, say that I can say I that can't can. I that was alright that's, that's, that's truth it's truth yeah. <laughs> I, like how, I like how Mark said uh, that Paul Elliott doesn't hold grudges but we bloody do yeah. though don't we <laughs> and we did and we did every time yeah. we, we played do. him yeah. yeah every time we played him we, I mean even now if you mention Saunders in front of a Chelsea fan you can just see the red mist descend anyway um there was other one other thing that mark, mark <laughs> alerted me i forgot all about this but uh spurs uh uh they would what they, they deducted six points yeah yeah they were, they were before the season six, started before, before the season started they had a six point deduction they got a 1.5 million pound fine and they were banned from the fa cup Oh, you know, fuck, I forgot that yeah, yeah. so they, they'd obviously had the big brouhaha with signing um jürgen klinsman but they started off obviously minus six at the bottom of the league um, because of the financial. Well, come on, Mark. You're usually minus twelve if you take the six points that we always get off them into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually won it all back on appeal, so they still got the fine. But they were allowed back into the FA Cup, and and the six points were restored. But oh, that would have been fun, you know, starting six points at the bottom of the league. As you say, minus twelve, they could have got relegated. Yeah, yeah that would have, that would have been fun. Oh, How long mate. did it take to get the appeal back? Because I'm sure. They played Sheffield Wednesday and then they beat them on the first game of the season. They were saying, well, that means they're minus three now. Yeah, I think it was in the first months of the season they were successful. Oh, okay. So it, it didn't it didn't take long because they got the points deduction during the closed season. You know, so they bought Klinsman, I think, knowing they had the points deduction. But they, they won it back, which is a shame. Yep. Yeah. Right, so there you go. Now, um, if you remember from last week, uh, uh, kind of pre-season... Uh, friendly tournament was that we're all we're all the rage at the moment and we had the makita cup again this time it was played at highbury not white hart lane um and we we lost to napoli 2-0 uh with uh, uh dennis wise getting a napoli defender sent off apparently mark has a story here but if, if he excuses me i'll just read it for him uh but apparently i can't i mean i don't remember this at all but dennis and it wasn't on the on the season review either but dennis headbutted a guy behind the referee's back and the Napoli defender retaliated and got sent off. You very angry Italians. They did have the last laugh, though, because they won 2-0. But we did beat Atletico Madrid uh, 1-0 the next day with um, a furlong goal, his debut goal, I suppose, although not really because, you know, friendlies, blah, 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 blah. But uh, Atletico Madrid had eight players from their 1994 uh, Spain World Cup side. Um, and as Mark was saying, you know, uh, furlong had scored... Uh, 19 goals the previous season but you you were not not necessarily impressed mark or were you well i think to start with i think most people are impressed because again as well as the um the game against Atletico madrid they played um a pre-season at watford and i went along to that and i think watford were opening the elton john stand and it might have been part of the transfer deal and furlong scored the winning goal in that game as well and i think we also played because this is a bit of all the rage about people getting into a stadium for nothing. We also played our started our traditional pre-season game against Kingstonians, and we won 10-0. And I, and I think Furlong bagged a few goals in the Kingstonians game as well. Um, so it actually started really well. He's got, he got a hat-trick in the Kingstonians game, scores against Watford, 
Uh, we also played South End on a Friday night I went to. He scored in that. So the guy's banging in goals left, right and centre in pre-season. And I think, yeah, as I said, I was optimistic about Furlong. He started really well. He had ups and downs. But my, my, my lasting memory of Paul Furlong, the poor, because um, the shed had gone. So I was in the West Stand by then. And this guy I used to sit next to, in the end, we had to nickname Paul Furlong, fucking hell Furlong. You know, because there were so many times during the course of the season when Furlong missed a sitter, the bloke beside me go, oh, fucking hell, Furlong, not again. <laughs> yeah, that's my lasting memory of, of Furlong, was this constant missing of chances, which uh, I, I despaired of. What I found interesting with the first four games of the season, it, he, looked, he was hanging in the air, he was getting into good positions, he was making these runs down the wing, he was crossing. You thought, this is a really good player. And then the curse of the Chelsea forward descended upon him, didn't it? You know, well, he's, he's, clearly, he's, he's clearly a follower of tradition, JK. <laughs> and, and the other thing I would say as well is, as, and this is because obviously we'll talk later about John Spencer's season. This is Johnny Spencer's season. But actually yeah. Mark Steen was in and out of the team. Yeah. And, and although Mark Steen got some really brilliant goals during the course of the season, the previous year he was on fire. Yeah. But this year... Like, Fur like Furlong, there was chances he just missed that he would have put away the previous season. So whether like, the curse of the strikers then went on to Steen as well. Yeah, He got better as the season got on Steen, didn't he? He, I think well, he, yeah, he, had, he, had, he had a real streak, which we'll talk about later. But the interesting thing is he only played uh, 26 games this season. Yeah. Was so, he injured for that period? Well, that's I what I wondered, actually. I couldn't remember. Mark, was he injured? No, he, he, was, he was injured because obviously we talked about last week's show that you know, he barely made the cup final. Yeah, so yeah. He, he did have injuries. And again, it just coincided with that surge of form from John Spencer. So clearly when he was fit, there were times when Spencer was keeping him out of the team because you had the, the front three, you had Furlong quite often up front with Spencer and you had Peacock at times Peacock. either playing just behind him as a number 10 role or sometimes wide mm -hmm. on the left. Or actually sometimes he played up front with Furlong and Spencer played behind. But what was Both Spencer and Peacock were absolutely brilliant volleyers of the ball. And really brilliant at just I've mentioned this before, just getting ahead of this of the defender on a cross and getting it and really getting it on target. Very, very difficult to defend against and very impressive. Peacock and Spencer to me had great seasons. But the main person, apart from the madness, we'll get onto it, the madness of, of him as a personality, was Dennis Wise, who to me just got better and better and All better. Right. My my joy of watching him was just, I just loved him so much. Brilliant. I just want to want to ask a question before we get it. The first match, by the way, is at home against Norwich. But uh, Mark, or any of you really, do you remember what system Hodder was playing now? Was he still playing, he... you know, four at the back, four diamond two? I, I think with Hodder, he was playing four at the back. Um, this is Nigel Spackman's season. He plays most of the games. I think him and you know, Peacock and Jürgen Jonsson make the... So you think Spackman was at the top of the diamonds. You had Dennis, you had Peacock, and you had a variation of Craig Burley or Eddie Newton during the course of the season. Mm. And yeah, I think, I think it was a diamond plus two up front. That's what he, what he finished yeah, with last yeah. season, which the players yeah. really liked. Yeah. JK? Yeah. He was playing Dennis in the midfield as opposed to playing him on the wing, which he'd started doing, wasn't he? Because Dennis... Dennis found himself in a series of wonderful positions, just dropping the ball uh, into the penalty area for somebody to run onto, which he, his accuracy was was absolutely fabulous. Because and he was playing just behind. Because I think last year he'd been more of a winger, 
and he was playing him across. So that would be part of the diamond, wouldn't it? Yeah, he had the diamond. Like, yeah, he had, as you said, Spackers at the, the bottom, the and he had Rowcastle on the right, Wise on the left, and Peacock Rowcastle. at the top yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Who was at the bottom of the diamond? Spackers. Spackers. Batman. So who yeah. was at the top? Uh, Peacock. Peacock as the kind of Wise a number on the 10. Left, uh, Rocky on the right. And then Spencer, uh, you know, and Furlong or Steen. and Yeah, exactly. All right. Right, Norwich home. First match of the season. Uh, just to get, We won 2-0. It's always great. Uh, Sinclair scores a really good goal. Uh, Peacock does a great ball to Furlong. Uh, to, what I liked about that goal was, it was just, I don't know who it was, monstrous header out from inside our own half. Goes to Peacock and uh, he puts this great ball through to, to Furlong 2-0. Now, the interesting thing uh, about this, of course, is that, I mean, you know, for uh, uh, certainly the first month or two of the season, the Matthew Harding upper and lower, as we know it and love it now, is really taking shape. But we've still got this kind of, you know, uh, wooden wall behind the goal. Um, but, of course, there's no more shed. So the shed end is just like this kind of big bank of... Uh, temporary seats and I think the thing that caught my eye most about uh, this season whilst that was going on was of course you know we're so used to seeing the shed end so far away and behind fences now they're right behind the goal and every time we score everybody at the front is like up and down Mm. running around it's just brilliant and I love that except what's happened to poor old Ken's car park yeah where the disabled cars (laughs) mate and and Ken's car to be fair you know it's great I, I but they were all green seats, weren't they? Honestly, they were. Well, how how they were, how they were ticketed. Um, where, where the original, um, uh, they make more more seats. The capacity of the ground must have been completely reduced. How many were in that in that uh, temporary stand? Do you remember, Mark? Oh, it, was only, it, was only, it was only a couple of thousands. Yeah, it, it yeah. looked like they'd borrowed it from the British Open. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. Because it was very late in the day. Because. It was only a few weeks before the season they actually confirmed that they'd have a temporary stand in place because they'd have to have the license permission from the authorities as well. So it's actually still a quite surprised to be sitting in the West Stand. And a lot of people thought it might still be a building site. So it actually added a few extra thousand people on the gate. Otherwise, it would have been a 20,000 gate because yeah. you'd have you'd have the 12,000 from the East Stand. You'd have the six in the West and you have the 3,000 in the benches. So probably two, two to 3,000 there. I sat in there a couple of times during the season. It was great when it was a sunny day. Bloody awful when it rained. Mm. Still coveted seats, though. I think people wanted to sit there. I remember people wanting to get in there to to to, to sit in the shed because it was a novel experience. Mm. Well, um, the interesting thing is, as Mark tells me, because I can't remember, of course, I wasn't there either. But uh, it sold out by two twenty p.m., so a good forty minutes before kickoff. Uh, and I would imagine a fair amount of nervousness given our record against Norwich recently. And uh, Rocky Rowcastle was man of the match. And as I said, Paul Furlong scored on his debut. Now, the next match was uh, up against uh, JK's favourite team, Leeds United, Ooh. away. Um, I, who was there? I was. OK, Dane, you, you get first dibs. This was a nutty, mad, mental match. Yeah, it's the first time I'd ever been to Leeds and I noticed that just, just the hatred and the vitriol uh you know there's sort of like an eerie feeling I, I i i found it quite similar to when i went to uh you know down a cold blow lane to the old den i just found that sort of same atmosphere where the hatred was there i think i remember i'm sure wise got booked in like the first seconds or the first minute he did of, of, of the game first minute uh i can't remember what he did but yeah i thought again i thought we played well i remember spackman playing really well Wise, Rowcastle playing well. I remember Eddie Newton coming on actually, and I, I remember his uh, 
had a 10 minute cameo and he looked really good. It's funny uh, when you're at the game because when Spencer scored the winner, I thought he was a cracker. It's only when I got home and watched it a match of the day that I realised how, how much of a trickle it sort of went in and Lukic made a mistake. Yeah, again, Spencer looked so lively, didn't he? He pounced on, on, on his first goal on, on the Lukic mistake. And I think clumsy Colton Palmer gave away a penalty on with a clumsy foul on, on John Spencer as well. Uh, yeah, we, we grew into the game. We was unlucky to go 2-0 down. Bloody homegrown Noel Whelan scored, I remember that. And they, they, they kept on singing his name, made a real fuss about him being a local. I'm sure he was a local boy. I think he'd come through their youth system. Do you know what? He's really nice. He's he? really nice. I had him on a show I did donkeys ago, and he was just so pleased and happy that you know he managed to get some media time. And and he Facebook friend me, and he, he he's actually really lovely. So oh, good for him. Yeah, I saw a picture of him recently, and I hadn't seen anything about him for twenty five years. I think it was out of something to do with Father's Day. He was yeah. for some reason it was on my timeline. But yeah, it was it was a great day, really great day. And to say we were two 0 down, you know, two 0 down, three two. 3 p.m. Saturday kickoff, you know, great, yeah, brilliant. It was, and I mean, you know, you probably remembered as well for uh, uh, you know two Spencer goals, but both of them uh, really down to Lukic errors, mm. the last one going through his legs, and of course, always something to laugh about. Uh, next match, uh, City at home. Uh, it's pissing down with rain. I don't know why it seemed to piss down with rain all the time this season, and I think largely because the god took took. I decided to have a laugh at the expense of everybody sitting uncovered in the shed, perhaps. But uh, it was pissing down with rain. Uh, Peacock, uh, this this was great because, you know, Peacock gets us off the mark with a 1-0 uh, uh, for 1-0 after four minutes. Wisey, a great chip goal from outside the area and uh, and great build-up and one-touch passing for 2-0. And then there was a Vonk, I think it was Vonk. Was it Vonk who scored an own goal? Yeah, Vonk. Vonk, yeah. How can you forget Vonk? Bless his heart. Yeah, Vonk scores an own goal. Uh, and we're 3-0 up, and that's how it finished, and we're up to fifth. I mean, JK, I presume you were there? Uh, yes, of course. I never quite, didn't quite understand. We win the first three games of the season, we were up to fifth. I know. doesn't make any sense. Surely we're joint top, aren't we? Nine points out of nine. Well, it depends on... on. on well, do you want me to look at the table? It's alphabetically. I have the mighty bounder Frydale on... Uh, yeah, JK. I think for some reason we were a game behind. Uh, so other teams had played four yeah, games and we would played three. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. makes yeah. sense. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, Newcastle, Newcastle United are on top with twelve. United second on ten. Forest third on ten. All of whom have played four games. We're equal with Liverpool, uh, but below them on goal difference. So there you go. Interestingly, Spurs are six. No sign of a points deduction there at all. Interesting, but there you go. All right, so that's October done and dusted, and then we go into Newcastle. Of course, it all goes Pete Tong. Uh, we good side, uh, though. very good side. Newcastle. Well, this this was this was the kind of the year of the. I'd love it. I'd love it. Yeah, isn't it? Andy Cole was a different beast for Newcastle. Yeah. He was. He yeah, was. He was amazing. Uh, yeah. he, he cried when he left. The rumor was he cried when he left them, and he was joining Man United. Was 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 this the I'd love it season? I think that's the following season. The, following the following season. season. They, dropped, um, they bought what's his game? As as thingy. What's his Your, name? Brilla. As as Asprilla. Asprilla. Yeah, they brought Asprilla. Yeah. Not Sasparella. Asprilla. Yeah. Uh, mate, it might have been actually two seasons later because they uh, Les Ferdinand was with QPR this season. Yeah. And they had Ferdinand then as well. So did yeah. they buy him the same season as Asprilla? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, th- they finished sixth this season, so it definitely was. This is the season that Blackburn Rovers won it. By the way, okay. sorry, 
Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they did. Um, All right. So, uh, Newcastle. Yeah, we lost 4-2. Andy Cole scores um, the first goal for Newcastle. And as the boys were saying, rather good. That's a great goal. Yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Uh, Peacock makes it 1-1 after 15 minutes. Really soft pen to Newcastle which Robert Lee takes. Karin saves it, but uh, Raoul Fuchs scores... Fox, not Fuchs, not to be confused with the German. Fox scores the rebound. Great header by Furlong to make it 2-2. Robert Lee scores again, makes it 3-2, and Cole makes it 4-2. So we were in the game, you know, for a while, but it was... Uh, they were a much better side on the day. We had four bookings that day, and Wisey was sent off. How did I miss that? What was Wisey sent off for? The usual, probably. <laughs> Tw- tweaking a nipple? <laughs> Who can say? Nobody seems to remember. Can I, I just can I just wax lyrically about him? He, he, I thought he just got he got better and better. This is when I started to love him as a player. I thought he was great, but I just loved his ability to chip in, centre all the free kicks, classy free kicks, never wasted corners, never wasted anything, absolutely spot on with his passing. Brilliant, brilliant shot with either foot. A wonderful player, Dennis Wise. Yeah, and this no, we're, we're gonna, the beginning of it. We're going to talk a lot about Wisey because I agree with you, J.K. Yeah, I, 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 I think, I mean, I, I, without kind of, you know, uh, tell, you know, walking before we can run or running before we can walk, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I actually think the reason we didn't do so well in the league this season was because Wisey wasn't available for p- periods of it because I, yeah. I think he's becoming one of our most, if not our most I'll important player. Right, hang on, we've got Dane and then Mark. So, so, so I Googled it quickly and it said, Hoddle strips Wise off the captaincy after he is sent off for foul and abusive language at Newcastle. Oh, right. He later, he later, he later gets the captaincy back, but as punishment for foul and abusive language, he thinks he should have showed more leadership. Okay, so is that what you were going to say, Mark? I was going to, yeah. I, I, oh. Dane and I are on the same page. I, <laughs> okay. I just went to the bound of Frydale. And clicked on the press report. All yeah. oh, right, yeah, I didn't. I, you you beat me to it by uh, Nat's cock. Now Pete Sampson on Mixler, by the way, says that uh, the shed Temporium was built by the same company built that built the one for Pink Floyd gigs at Earl's Court. The one, <laughs> the one that the one that collapsed. Collapsed. <laughs> same old Chelsea, same old Batesy. Now the next match. The next match is, um, you know, for those of you who are lucky enough to be there. Uh, is quite a seminal match, really. It's a, it's a, because I mean, as you all probably know, I mean, this is not going to giving anything away. This season, <laughs> this season is utterly defined by the fact that we had a great run in the European Cup Winners' Cup because, of course, we'd lost the final, the FA Cup final to Man United the season before, but because they won the double, we took their Cup Winners' Cup place in Europe. So we're in Europe for the first time since 1971, and boy, how excited were we! It's pissing down with rain again. Uh, but we have this. I mean, the other thing. I think. I think this was. I think actually throughout Europe, Mark or Dane or any any of you will correct me. But we pretty much it was covered by BBC because I kept getting the wonderfully dulcet tones of uh, Barry Davies uh, commentating. But we had the perfect start. Furlong scores after one nil. Uh, two minutes later, you're getting this brilliant Chelsea are back. Chelsea yeah. are back. <laughs> But why have we been away? Why did they keep singing that? This was something that happened quite a lot in the season. I didn't get it. I kept thinking... Because well, of on. Europe. I, I reckon it's because of Europe. I mean, back in Europe. D- d- disagree with me if you dare, but I think it was all to do with that. We are back. We're back where we belong, competing at the top. Right. That's yeah. what it's about, mate, isn't it? Okay, all right, I got you. It's all right. I didn't mean to sound as obviously aggressive as I did then, but yeah, I, I, I was feeling it, JK. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, 1-0, Furlong. And then Sinclair, great header, 2-0. Uh, and then that's after four minutes. So we're, we're sitting pretty. It's all going absolutely lovely. And then Zizkov uh, basically scored with an absolute world. I'm just trying to... Yeah, Josef Majeros after 35 minutes makes it 2-1 and then how dare he how dare he oh no his equaliser was the worldie I do apologise he scores again on 43 minutes with an absolute worldie uh, but no worries second half we come out Hoddle's clearly given him a kick up the arse Rocky Roadcastle does a brilliant 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 lob to make it 3-2 and I remember um, years ago when I, I, I did a big programme for Sky 1 and we featured uh, it was it was the greatest goals against Man United uh, program that I made, and w- one of the goals that Arsenal scored against Man United was by Rowcastle, where he did this sublime chip over Schmeichel. Didn't everybody, to be fair? But this goal reminds me of that. It was as good, if you ask me. That's three two, and then just to, the the cherry on the top of the uh, the cake was uh, Dennis Wise scoring an absolute th- great goal, thirty yard shot in off the underside of the crossbar. 4-2. So, Mark, I no doubt you were there. I was. I was in the East Stand Upper that night. And obviously, that was a good bit of ticket buying on my part because it absolutely pissed down with rain. So, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get wet. I know there was a couple of things I remember. They actually had a teenage goalkeeper, Ziskoff. Because, like, Ziskoff, you know, just had come from nowhere, I think, with a millionaire backer, and they'd won the Czech Cup. But their main goalkeeper got injured just before the game. So, you had this contrast... And remember, this is what, like the foreigner rules. We can only play three foreigners. So they've got a teenager in goal. We've got a teenager on the bench who's a goalkeeper. So we had Lee Carroll on the bench amongst our substitutes, you know, uh, because I think Hitchcock might have been injured, but all, all it's the three foreigner rule. Our three foreigners that night were Dimitri Karin, John Spencer, who was Scottish, but he was counted as a foreigner, and Erlen Jonsson. So you couldn't have Burley and Spencer in the same side. You couldn't have Clark and Spencer. So we really struggled with the three foreigner, foreigner rule that, that season. So that's when we'll talk later about Graham Ricks getting the game. But well, it was tremendous. R- it was Rico, tremendous. Rico came on on uh, 90 minutes for Rocco. Yeah. Yeah. And he played, he played the second leg. But he was tremendous being back in Europe. You know, I was, I was too young for Athens. I will talk about Bruges later. I was too young for Bruges when we won 4 0 in 71. So we were making our own memories here. It was a brilliant game. Sure. Tremendous atmosphere. Like 20 odd thousand there. Only three sides of the ground open. But a bridge was absolutely rocking that night, despite the rain. You know, it was oh, so you sort of think, yeah, Chelsea are back. We're in Europe. We've got, a, you know, two goal lead to take to the second leg. They're a bit, a bit tricksy, but, you know, very much. And we'll talk about the second leg shortly. Obviously, you know, I think everybody went to Europe for that one. There was only about 5,000 at the return leg, but I think I think I know probably half the crowd that were there. Yeah, it, it, can it, I, yeah of course, JK, of course. Just, just emphasise how, how important that aspect was, the, the three foreigner rule, because it's just something that is utterly alien to anybody playing European football nowadays, is that uh, is you, you were always working out who was available um, uh, from your... If, if, you had a, if you had a squad that had... More foreigners in it than 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 than, than, than you know the, the English representation. You were for it, and you were then having to play combinations of players, which we were ultimately going to get onto, that um, that uh, you would never normally play. And uh, it was just uh, um, as a fan, I was always thinking, well, he's injured, he can't play. Who are we going to get in the side? Playing playing really quite impressive European sides, and yet we're having to. Uh, we're having to stick with, as they did as well, they had to play the young teenager in goal. But I, I thought that was something that was really important 
because it then has its distinct relevance the further we go in the competition um, uh, with the, the people who then come in and prove themselves as being uh, really up for the job. Um, and um, uh, the, the other thing was just remembering the, 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 the reason also the atmosphere improved as the game went on was because it was because of the fact they got back to 2-2 and we then scored the other two goals because at 2-2, our heads had completely gone down in the in the crowd. And the fact that we then got back with a rocky goal and then another and then another great goal, um, uh, I think it was Wise's goal, wasn't it, off the crossbar? Mm. That actually, that made the atmosphere go absolutely screwed through the roof because we'd come back from, because we'd scored the two, lost the two, and then came back again. That's why the evening was even better, I remember, was the, the, uh, the joy of coming back from two all. You know what? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It, it, it was a real mind fuck. This, uh, you know, only being able to play three foreigners rule, and and I remember exactly that. And actually, do you know what? I remember another thing, because of course this was the, the the year that United absolutely crashed and burned in the Champions League because, you know, they were trying. Re- I mean, they had an a, an equally difficult problem. Of course, their problems they had Cantona and and Schmeichel, but a few others as well. I think Kanchelskis as well, and they were Fergie was always having a problem with that and they clearly didn't know how to play in Champions League football it wasn't until a couple of years later that they started getting the hang of it and I, I again I go back to that funny program I made about Man United and we interviewed Henry Winter to talk about this and uh, he said he did a hilarious press conference with Ferguson trying to figure out you know who he was going to pick because of this very problem that they couldn't they could only pick three three uh, three foreigners and apparently Ferguson just gave up trying to explain it to him and walked out of the press conference munching on about two Jaffa cakes saying ah Henry never second guess the mind of a madman <laughs> <laughs> cackling away to himself so you know it was a real issue for, for English teams of course we were I think the, the thing for us though we were really screwed because the bloody Scots count as foreigners now I know a lot of you out there will count the Scots as foreigners I have some of my best friends as Scots I wouldn't have a word about it but I think that's really unfair I mean you should have been the home nations should have been included as you know uh, British wasn't there a period though they were attempting was this the period where they wanted um, England to join with the rest of the country I think it yeah one oh. unified FA yeah bastards bastards they're always at it aren't they nothing changes right okay so we went 4-2 against Zizko a bit worrying because they got two away goals you know those things count double as we all know uh, then we get Blackburn at home uh, we lose uh, 2-1 Shearer scores first from a would you believe it a Lasso cross uh, Johnny Spencer score uh, equalises played then... wonderfully by the way Lasso played wonderfully yeah, well, yeah I, uh, I remember yeah I thought I was really I remember being really impressed with Blackburn yeah. And Lasso was getting a lot of stick, and he he was really he kept on uh, yeah down that left side. Wow, he skinned us a few he times. He was great. He was great. He, he was played indeed. One for them all season and the following season. Uh, Chris Sutton scores the winner. That's two one. Sure. Then, then we yeah, get when Bates saw him and decided he wanted to pick him for wanted to buy him for. Oh us. my God, was that the moment? Well, I, no, I'm just being a bit ironic. He, I mean, look. To be fair, you know that was the year of another SAS Shearer and Sutton, wasn't it? Yeah. And they yeah. scored for fun all season. And, and as I said a minute ago, Blackburn won the won the title that season. Next up, Coca-Cola match, home leg against Bournemouth. We win 1-0, Roy Castle goal. Uh, and then we lose away to Palace. Uh, one, no, sorry, we win away to Palace, 1-0. Paul Furlong scores oh. again. And then we have Zizkov away. So we've, we, we're basically two goals up. But remember, if they scored two goals, they would go through. So we we can't fuck about basically. And there was one 
slightly controversial moment. Uh, I say controversial because arguably one of the most ugly footballers known to man. With certainly he he had a haircut like a like a spaniel uh, <laughs> and a face like a bulldog. Uh, and it was Carol Poborski who uh, Steve Clark basically got the ball, I think, and he basically did that classic uh, platoon dive to say he was mortally wounded and uh, it was a penalty. The ref gave it. But Karin makes a brilliant double save from whoever the penalty taker was, who I, I can tell you, if you if you bear with me, uh, Vrabek, he, he, he took the penalty and then Poborski tried to volley in the rebound and Karin saved that. So it ends up nil-nil. But that's the least important thing to tell you about Zizkov, isn't it, Mark? Oh, yes, indeed. Like I, You know, all the years going to Chelsea, I said too young. I never thought I would see Chelsea play in Europe. So the moment Man City put those goals past Oldham the previous season, and we know in the cup final, it wasn't just we're in the cup final, we are in Europe. So we were planning back then, and there was no way I was going, and, you know, the two fanzines, the Chelsea Independent, Alan Collis at the red card, the official Chelsea Supporters Club that was run by Ron Hawkins, God rest his soul, uh, it's now obviously run by Margaret. So we had a summer meeting and we said, whatever happens, whatever the club do, Arsenal had demonstrated in the previous season, you can do independent travel. So we paired up with a guy called Mike Ross, who ran a company, I think it was in Baker Street, called Prime Events. You know, so, you know, all the propaganda coming out of UEFA and the club was, you know, if you went by your own steam, you wouldn't get into grounds, you'd get all that nonsense. We said, sod it. So... We booked up a three-day trip to Prague, beautiful city, um, for £310 at Prime Events. Uh, we were staying, ironically, in the Hotel Victoria. Um, so that, that wasn't actually in Prague. It was probably a, a distance out of Prague, but you could get the metro in. And again, as part of that propaganda to stop people travelling, and I do believe it to this day, for some bizarre reason, the authorities conspired, and I felt sorry for Victoria Ziskov here, because this, this was their cup final. You know, Chelsea coming at their, their ground in Prague, you know. So they moved the game hundreds of miles north to the Polish border to a town called Jablinek, you know. Um, so they were sort of really sort of putting barriers up to stop fans traveling. And on the basis, they said that Ziskos ground of 8,000 was far too small and basically had no floodlights either. Well, that was completely not bullshit because Jablinek's ground was even smaller than Ziskos because some of the guys actually went over to Ziskos ground because we were there for three days. And actually, it had floodlights. Uh, uh, and also what they did is they moved the game to five o'clock. You know, so if you'd booked a flight, as often people do for a European trip on the morning of the game, there's no way in God's green earth you, know, you would get up to Jablinek in time for kickoff. Although, to be fair, some people by the skin of their teeth made it, flew into Prague and, and paid for taxis up to Jablinek and back. You know, the resourcefulness of Chelsea fans is absolutely incredible. But the club was saying in all the programmes leading up to the game, there'll be roadblocks on the way to Jablinek. You'll get stopped by the police. You'll be turned back. And the other thing which we haven't got to yet is obviously the match ticket. Um, if you don't go at the official club, you won't get a ticket for the game. And all the tickets will be printed. You know, this, this ticket, you know, is invalid in the hands of an English supporter. Now, that bit was true. You know, the other bits weren't true. So we've, we've done our three days in Prague, 13p um, a beer, you know, you know, and that was in the days where it was probably like a couple of pound a pint over here. So 13p a sort of pint was absolutely fantastic. Really good couple of days in Prague. We then get the coach up to sort of Jablinek um, and we meet um, our, our guide who actually has got the tickets for the game. So there's, there's 50 of us on the coach. 
they hand out the tickets on the coach and it's got that stamp on there. You still have that paranoia kicking in, will we or won't we get in? You get up to the turnstiles and they're not like normal ground turnstiles you push to get through. These were open door, you just walked in. So most people have got tickets from the Jabberlinet game. I've, never, I've still got the perforated ticket without the tear off strip because they never handed the ticket in. You know, so, so we get inside the ground, it's like one main stand and the rest is sort of terracing, a bit like a, an athletic stadium, a bit like Crystal Palace athletic stadium. So, you know, so we've got in and we just sit in the main stand in the seats. But whose seats are we in? We're in Ken Bates' seats. Yeah. So, so, so Ken comes along and tells us to fuck off, <laughs> as, Ken, as Ken would. But we stay in the seats. It, it's absolutely fine. So we sit behind all the, all the press boys. Yeah. Um, and obviously, yeah, the game was unimportant. Yeah, we got through. The only thing I remember about the game, apart from Karin's penalty save, is every time Ziskov got a corner, they played We Will Rock You by Queen. <laughs> Every time, they, and then when they got the penalty, they played "We Will Rock You." You know, so unless Karin was and didn't like Queen, for example, that, that made so it was just weird. You know, there's hardly any, to be fair, Ziskov fans there. It was predominantly Chelsea. More armed police than I think I've ever seen at a football match. So it was, it was a five thousand crowd. I'd say at least three thousand Chelsea and probably three thousand armed police as well. Um, but obviously, we went back to Prague after the game. Had a night in Prague. Um, and I felt sorry for the people that decided to go with the club because there was two ways you could go with the club. Uh, you could do a, a, an in and out flight for £210 or you could do a two-day coach trip from London to Prague for £110 non-stop apart from toilet breaks. And despite, you know, you know the game obviously being shifted to five o'clock, the coach from Chelsea was late. The poor sods missed the bloody kickoff. You know, so there's probably <laughs> someone at Chelsea saying... I told you we should have left 10 minutes earlier from Stamford Bridge. So, you know, you go all that way with the club, you still miss the kickoff. And then the people who flew out there, bless them, you know, having had a completely sort of dry journey, were treated by Chelsea Worldwide Travel to one complimentary drink on the flight back to celebrate Chelsea getting through to the next round. However, if you're on Ken's flight, you know, Ken had basically already said to the press boys when he did the interview, because I've got a photo of it, uh, and I put it on the front cover of the Chelsea Independent, and I was there. Ken basically said that they were going to drink the bar dry on the plane home, and supposedly um, Ken actually did sort of tell the captain to keep circling London Airport until they did precisely that. You know. But there's actually another great story. You might know Robert Ray if you follow him on Twitter. Robert is a journalist, worked for the BBC, you know, known Robert for a number of years. Robert sort of obviously did this great story that he, he tried many of the local Czech beers. And one of the local Czech beers was called Fleck. Yeah. <laughs> and Robert basically said, you know, the thing about a Fleck beer is you drink one and you're completely useless afterwards. <laughs> but um, tush. Brilliant, Mark. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, just a, a, another uh, a sidebar to that. Um, I, I was wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't Stevie Clark. It was... Uh, it was uh, Anthony Barnas who who fouled Paborski for the pen. According to Nick Townend in the Mail, it was it was definitely a pen. So I'm just completely myopic. And of course, the other thing is that Graham Ricks uh, played. And I just read the cutting from the match. And according to Nick Townend, uh, you know, he, he, his performance and his experience was inspirational. Of course, the interesting thing it was like, in a way, that's a proper. I mean, we've grown really accustomed to that nowadays, haven't we? You know. Do do a number on the side in the in the home leg and just go out there and shut the shop and come back with a nil nil, no problem. Proper European result, proper European football. But these players, and of course, I mean, if I read the team, 
Kareen Clark, Jonsson, Frank Sinclair, Furlong, Gavin Peacock, Dennis Wise, Eddie Newton, Rowcastle, Anthony Barnes, Graham Ricks. Very interesting mix of, of, of youth and experience. But they, you know, very little European experience. So, you know, actually, I think, I think you know, a bit of a nil-nil shithousery match where you had two shots on target works for me, JK. Interestingly, um, Jonsson claimed the centre-half position for his own, hadn't he? Because um, David Lee hardly gets a a look in this season no indeed and indeed the other option is of course kelberg who i always thought was a smashing player but oh, he's yeah. not the he's you've not got the, the three foreigners rule there and i've got and apparently actually the reason why uh rick started was because uh spack has had flu and there's there a real issue with uh obviously the three foreigner rule and illness in the squad so they they were struggling to get a team out basically so there you go uh so that's uh we're now to the next round of the uh uh, of the European Cup Winners' Cup. And we're also into October. We're still in fifth position. Uh, we then play West Ham at home. Uh, we lose 1-0. Uh, basically, Allen scores, making it 1-0 against the run of play. Furlong gets another goal, equalises. Then Moncur scores the winner on uh, 68 minutes. Um, I, you know, anybody got anything to say about that match? Particularly no takers for that. Don't blame you. We then got the, uh, the second leg in the Coca-Cola Cup where we... Make short work of Bournemouth with a 1-0 win courtesy of Gavin Peacock. Uh, and then we have uh, an interesting match. And it's interesting for, for two reasons, I think. Uh, it's Leicester at home, 4-0. Uh, Johnny Spencer scores after 17 seconds. Which are, it was certainly the quickest Premier League goal at the time. I, I don't know if that uh, has been beaten since. Somebody will know. Um, and uh, basically that was another another picking up what JK was saying earlier on another great quality cross from Dennis Wise uh, Peacock scores two, making it 2-0 after 4 minutes great diving header from a Wise corner Johnny Spencer scores another one to make it 3-0 to which the crowd I'm delighted to say erupts in one Johnny Spencer there's only one Johnny Spencer which is what we all like to hear and then uh, Neil Shipley scores to make it 4-0 I would I'd put money on that being his last goal for Chelsea but uh, there you go um, we then have Arsenal away. We lose three one. Chidge, Before before that, the other thing, and Dane made reference to it earlier. Uh, the, the, after the Leicester win, this this is the night when Dennis Wise gets ah, So that's yeah. when it was. That's when it was. So, so basically, you know, Dennis Wise went out with his girlfriend, obviously, to celebrate the Leicester victory. Uh, and there's an altercation with a cab driver called Gerald Graham, and I think he caught um, Dennis's girlfriend, now wife. I think arm in a taxi door, and then you know Dennis smashed the glass inside the cab. I think he assaulted the cab driver, and obviously then got arrested. Uh, and then obviously Glenn takes the captaincy off him uh, and gives it to Peacock for the Arsenal game. Yeah. Venables drops him from England as well. And Venables has to drop because he was actually ironically in Venables' nightclub scribes, and that's where he was getting the taxi from. So, so you know, if it hadn't been in your club. Terry would he have got in the cab? You know that wouldn't have happened, and he wouldn't necessarily have got dropped by England. So there was there was lots of things. And the interesting thing about this is, although you know Wise, you know obviously eventually gets the captaincy back, um, I think this is a beginning of a turning in the road between the Wise and Hoddle relationship. You know, and I, I think you know Wise, you know, as J.K. said, just gets better and better as a player. But I think Hoddle was really disappointed in him and what basically happened, and probably that was seen as a sort of form of punishment. And don't know, but school of thought was wisely missed a lot of games that season, you know, because he was injured, you know, 
was he necessarily injured all the time, 24-7, or was he just being left out? Well, he only played 26 manager? games, Mark. He mm. missed, yeah, for, for, for a player like Wise, who did miss a lot of football, no. he was injured a lot this season. You know, so mm. I, I do wonder, and I, th- I think the other one was, and we'll come to it later, when he played Bruges, he was injured for the Bruges game. Well, actually, he was injured because he was in court that day, but we'll talk about that when we get to the Bruges <laughs> game. Yeah. It was he scored re- in this game, didn't he, Wise? Because yeah. I, I was at this yeah. game. Cracking goal. Well, I yeah. mean, yeah. This, is the, this is the really annoying thing about it. I mean, Jonathan's absolutely spot on as he usually is, but Wise, he was tremendous when he played for us this season. And I think at this period of the season, he was absolutely at his best. I mean, he's, he's either scoring or assisting nearly, you know, most matches. He, he puts us 1-0 up against Arsenal away. Uh, sadly, that was the end of the fun because uh, Ian Wright... Uh, equalised. Apparently a lot of pushing in the box. I love the commentary on this, that Chelsea are furious that the goal stood. I couldn't see anything wrong with it, to be honest. Anyway, Campbell makes it 2-1, Wright makes it 3-1 and we lose. Um, but he's he, he's really, as I said, he's coming into his own. Uh, then we have uh, Austria-Memphis uh, in the next round of the Cup Winners' Cup at home. Sorry, they're at home. Or are we at home? I'm, I'm going no, back. We're no, we're home. at home, aren't we? We're at home. We're at home. We're at home. Uh, and, yeah. and it's a nil-nil. And, and I mean, the thing I remember about this, talking about Dennis Wise, horrible, horrible two-footed, uh, right through the yeah. back of him foul by Schmidt, who rightly got uh, rightly got sent off. Um, Ricks comes on again as a sub for Barnard. Peacock, but you're right, Peacock was the captain for this match. So Wisey's lost the armband. So maybe... He's trying to, you know, put himself back in... Well, behave himself, really, and put himself in his good books. But, of course, the other thing about this, I remember that this court case dragged on and on and on for quite a while. Mark was right with that. I remember seeing an awful lot of Eric Monster, Monster, Monster Hall at this time because, of course, he was Dennis's agent, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah, wow, good memory, yeah. yeah but it yeah. was on the news all the time, you know. I don't was... think it was a, a, a... Well, it was a marriage made in heaven, possibly, but it didn't come across very well with the media. And I remember Dennis getting absolutely pilloried non-stop everywhere in the press, which which so de- so uh, as I say depressed me, but it annoyed me because I was such a fan, and you could see that his personality was being absolutely uh, eviscerated and taken to pieces. Mm. Uh, he was a real villain in the eyes of the press. He was a they didn't nasty, like him, did they? Well, you know, they, you know. It's. I think it's because at that time they were still under the illusion that Dennis Wise actually was the one with Les Ferdinand who trashed the Blue Peter Garden, which, as we know, is a is a national institution, and can't be <laughs> fucked with it at all. You know, that must be it. Jim. I mean, obviously Dennis and Les have, have denied this since. Uh, I say for legal reasons, obviously. Do you know what? I, I mean, I worked with Les Ferdinand a few times back in the past, and I have to say, I I really I really like Les. He was so funny. Lovely bloke, great sense of humour. He knew I was a Chelsea fan as well, and he used to take the piss because, of course, he's a Spurs fan. I used to take the piss out of him. His hero was Jimmy Greaves, not surprisingly, um, but a lovely guy. And I asked him, I asked him if he did the Blue Peter Garden with with Dennis, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He said no comment. Nah. He wouldn't say. He wouldn't say. Um, I mean, the other thing about that that uh, that um, home leg, even though it was nil nil, I mean, they were just really hard to break down. It was a proper kind of European turn away, but the atmosphere was fantastic again. Great yeah. rendition to keep the blue flag flying high. Now, when you consider that that's with a temporary stand in the shed and and no stand at all with the Matthew Harding, the racket that we were making is to be applauded. The, the East stand was full for the first, you know, which before it was rarely full before that. But because it because of the lack of uh, numbers in the crowd, you've got the West stand and the East stand were, were, were to capacity, which meant uh, 
you meant the atmosphere was even better because the, all the songs were coming down from the top. So, uh, uh, yeah, JK's right. You also had people sitting in the East Stand that never sat in the East Stand before. Yes, you know, yes. Who, li who liked singing. Yes. Indeed, yes, he did. Yeah. Do we so talk to the North Stand, boys, Mark? <laughs> no, no, I think what you, what you had, because the shed had gone, yeah, people had to relocate. There was only one or three places. The new shed stand, the temporary stand, there wasn't enough space in there, although it was great in there. Because the other novelty about being there, you could run down the front every time Chelsea yeah. scored. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so basically, the only other place you'd go was the west or the east. Yeah. Make another quick comment. Because because he'd pushed the, the shed up, the pitch now had the badge. And the when you ran onto the pitch, you ran onto the halfway line, which had never been the case over the last few years. The, the, uh, the tunnel was always... Um, to the left of the the center of the center of the center line so you always ran out and ran across if you wanted to go go onto the pitch whereas now because he'd shifted the uh, the position of the crowd nearer to the to the actual ground to the actual pitch itself i should say the the big the huge white lion badge which was on the the top of the tunnel which um, um the old it was the in fact the one i've got on my like sleeve at the moment here the Bates Millwall badge the Bates Millwall badge absolutely that was a big white white um uh just sign there on top of the tunnel and that was on the halfway line and this is because they changed the the pitch they'd shifted the pitch further up because they they made the shed right up to the edge because they'd gone all the way they'd now got rid of that area where he used to park all the cars mm -hmm. So there we go. Now, uh, next match, Ipswich at home. Uh, we win 2-0. Uh, Eddie Newton hits the bar from 25 yards out. Wisey scores the rebound. Just to, I mean, basically, it's interesting, isn't it? The next few games, Wisey's on, in great form, which makes it even more irritating that this court case is hanging over him and he's lost the captaincy. But he scores off the rebound, 1-0. Shipley, oh, I was wrong. Shipley scores another goal, 2-0. Then we get West Ham in the Coca-Cola Cup away. We win 1-0. Well, no, we lose 1-0. What am I talking about? The Ipswich goal, the second goal, was a terrific goal. with some great movement. Yes. Well, there's a lot of that. They're really beginning yeah. to gel, aren't they? And yeah. I think the, the, the one touch... I mean, I mentioned it uh, with a goal somewhere in this season where that was so apparent. But you're right. There's some lovely football beginning to be played. Yeah. The Hoddle way is beginning to work, I think. And that was very apparent. <laughs> And also, but uh, uh, having somebody as um, speedy and uh, skillful as Spencer up front was really um, uh, a bonus with that situation. And also with Peacock. Peacock was Peacock's ability to get the ball in very quickly from angles, as well as being such a good volley, was also something very, very commendable about him as a player. He'd wriggled into a situation, and you think, what's he going to do? And before you were but in that moment where you're thinking what's he's going to do, he'd, he'd have crossed the ball from an angle. He just didn't think he was going to do that. And it was it was the fact the ball was getting very quickly into the box. And Johnny Spencer was always good at anticipating that. It was a very good combination. Those two. Yeah, he seemed like uh, Peacock's goals dried up a bit this year, but he'd become more of an all-round player, I thought. Uh, yeah, very creative. Indeed. Yeah, very creative. Always moving, going from left, going to yeah. right. Good yeah. passing. As you said, he could wriggle out of situations and dink a little ball in. He, but I think he became more of an all-round player that season. Very I think good, if he's playing team. him in that position of the top of the diamond. It makes sense that that's happening, isn't it? He's not the he's not the striker. He's the no. uh, he's more of a, a, a he's more of a creator. Mm. I liked him as a forward though with us. Indeed. Yeah, like no, I agree. I agree. Anywho, uh, West Ham knock us out of the uh, Coca-Cola Cup. Don Hutchinson after two minutes, and then we play 
uh, Sheffield Wednesday away. Wisey scores again. 1-0. Great volley um, after 40 minutes. And then Mark Bright, the inevitable Mark Bright, uh, scores on 67. This is after John Sheridan uh, had a penalty saved by Dimitri Karin. Dimitri Karin is be- becoming a bit of a, dare I say it, a Besant esque in his penalty penalty saving nuss. Anyway, uh, we're now seventh in the league, by the way, so we've dropped down a couple of places. But on the on the season review, Hoddle was very interesting because he he thought that we were playing with a lot of confidence and, and bearing out what J.K. was saying, really, you know, a balanced side, not many injuries, players are sharp. And as I said, I think Wisey was in superb form. First match in November will go down in the annals as a, a, a remarkable uh, match for one reason, one reason alone. It's uh, it's Austria-Memphis, uh, the away leg. Um, and... Uh, Excuse my typo that I've got there. It ends up being one all, which means we we went through on away goals. But uh, you know, basically, uh, the match will always be remembered for something that happened in the 40th minute. And I sure I I'm not going to second guess you, J.K. or Dane. 40 minutes. What happened? Oh, uh, John Spencer. And this is my one. You know, those games you miss in the history of football. This is one of my many regrets. I did all the European games this season, home and away. And for work commitments, I missed the Austria-Vienna game. And that was probably the best goal you know, of that European campaign where John, John Spencer runs from one end of the pitch to the other with half the Austria. I'm going to say Vienna. I'm not going to say Austria-Memphis. Stupid bloody sponsor's name. Yeah, he'd shaved his barnet. He was going towards Diego Costa style beforehand. And that goes down as one of the great goals you know, of that season. John, one of Johnny Spencer's great goals as well. And a real back-to-the-wall European performance you know, led by our captain that night as well. Uh, which is Nigel Spackman playing at the back. You know, again, that's the three foreigners rule again. He? Yeah, yeah he was a half, wasn't he, Mark? He was and Andy, Andy Myers playing uh, on the on the left hand side as well. Yeah, another good example of like you know we were we were really I think Neil Shipley came on and played. Hoddle came on, so we were really struggling to get sort of like a sort of like non sort of three foreigners at eleven. A bit remarkable, as I said. To this day, twenty five years on, I absolutely kick myself for missing that game of any game of that season. I'm afraid I was there. Ooh. Go for it. Go for it. Ooh. Yeah. And? Uh, it was just, it was remarkable. A remarkable goal. And uh, and it was remarkable we then held out with them only scoring one because we had such a um, a ragtag. Shall I read you the team? Because you're yeah. right, it, it's borne out. Uh, Kareen, Johnson, Spencer, Wise, Myers, Spackman, Newton, Shipley, Rowcastle, sub by Hoddle on 80. Barnes, Gareth Hall, sub by Minto on 46. And the subs were Darren Barnard, uh, Michael Dubry and Kevin Hitchcock. So down the bare bones. So Kjellberg didn't play in that game. Nope. In my memory, he was playing. How interesting. Nope. I've, I've forgotten that. I look, When I looked at the, the goal that were on the, uh, the review we've been watching, I didn't realise that it had been a shot that had then um, hit the Chelsea player that... Uh, Spencer then ran onto. I just had this vision of Johnny Spencer just running the length of the pitch with the ball. I don't know how he got the ball, but yeah, it was good to see because I don't think I've ever seen it since. Well, if I had, I saw it then and I've forgotten. But it, what I loved about the goal was that he didn't just slot it under. It, when he got into the penalty yeah. area, chased by all the team, he takes it round the goalkeeper and just hits it into the corner. Chips it but over. I, yeah. For me, it was it was um, it, it, one of the great Chelsea goals for me. Um, I mean, all right, all right, it wasn't a spectacular goal. He's just run the length of the pitch. But he's run the length of the pitch to score, to, to put them ahead against a side who 
should really have taken Chelsea to the cleaners. It was uh, it was a, a, a great place to be. And also, um, they were absolutely convinced that we were all terrorists. And they would only let us in individually. They all had machine guns. Um, uh, and they put whole fencing all the way around, um, obviously not for the, the Austria fans, so that it all just came down to one person. They put the fencing at an angle, the fencing, that high fencing that you can move about, um, all that, that grey metal um, in, in, you know, just it, it's, it's got checks in it, whatever it holds in the fencing. But they moved it and you had to go in at each one and be completely frisked by um, the, the Austrian police. And I don't know what they were expecting. I think this was a time when they just believed that every single um, England supporter was going to create a riot mm. because um, I went with, once again, a whole series of people, none of, you know, all, all lawyers and music people and whatever. You went with your firm, JK. Come on, don't lie. They, well, to be fair, they are my firm. And yeah, we'd, we'd, hidden, we'd hidden our yeah. guns, our bags yeah. that we'd left. They wouldn't let us take a bag. Our, in, our bottle and Lewis and Frumpkin. That's your firm. <laughs> But we'd, I'd take my, but everybody's backpack had to go. They got, they got vans available. You had to dump your bag in the van. You weren't allowed to take anything in. Um, it was scary, actually, very scary because it was, you know, proper proper army people, yeah. army with machine guns. What were they expecting? I just, I don't, I didn't get that. Anyway, but we watched the game and uh, it was joyous, completely joyous occasion, um, with a great goal from a great player that season. Johnny Spencer was absolutely on fire. Well, of course, the reason we now know uh, why he was able to run so fast and a full 70 yards to score that goal was, of course, that he had shaved his barnet, which, of course, made him far more streamlined than before. He was quite a bouffant hairstyle before. The only other thing to note at this point that Mark reminds me of, but Nigel Spackman won the, uh, the Evening Standard Footballer of the Month for September. Of course, as Mark was saying, he was the captain in Vienna that night. Now, back to league form. Uh, we are now... Uh, eighth, by the way, just for point of record. Uh, we play Coventry at home. We draw two all. Dion Dublin scores one nil. Spencer makes it one all. Kjellberg, a rare Kjellberg goal, makes it two one. And then Peter Unlove from 25 yards. Uh, uh, basic. I, I must be going absolutely nuts here. Was I was I pissed when I watched this match because I thought it was two two and it is two two. So why have I got three goals out of nowhere? Absolutely nuts. Yeah, Spenny scores. Yeah. So yeah. where did I get the Kelberg header from? Oh yeah, Kelberg scores. So where have I, where have I got this um this uh, Spencer yeah. deflection? I must be talking nuts. Anyway, bottom line is it was two all. Not much to say about that. Less said about the next one, the better. We got thumped at Anfield three one after John Spencer again. Who's on a he's on a. I mean, after that goal against Vienna, he's on a great run. Scores in the next th uh, three games, including. Uh, four games should I say including this one against Liverpool where he puts us 1-0 up at Anfield after three minutes only for Fowler to score two and Ruddock Ruddock Razor bloody Ruddock your mate your bloody mate he was a bad player Chid. mate it was also a header how he got off the ground fuck knows you know uh, defying gravity Chid, there was a period where he was okay Chid. okay la probably <laughs> Knowing, knowing where he was. Anyway, 3-1, we lose to the Scousers. Then we play Forest away, and we do win 1-0. Another Johnny Spencer goal. So, as I said, 1-2. He scored in every match for the last four matches. Great ball in from Wisey. Um, next match, uh, Spurs away, 0-0. Uh, Nothing really happened in that much. Apart from, I think Klinsman had a, an effort was at Sheringham, but it was 0-0. 
uh, we're six. We're back up to six. So we're doing all right. Uh, we then play Everton at home, and uh, uh, this uh, I'm, I'm going to hand over to Mark about what happened. This is quite. This is quite a a momentous day, really, particularly for me, actually, for reasons I will divulge in a minute. Okay. Yes. Uh, the significant part about this is, and we made reference to it earlier in the show. Uh, it was behind sort of like signage beforehand, but the North Stand that is now the Matthew Harding officially opened uh, against Everton. I was lucky enough pre the game to invite by Ken Bates to have a look around. Oh, yeah, and behind the scenes, you're really impressed. Bates was really proud of that stand. But obviously, typical bloody Chelsea. We're sixth in the league. We've got we've got the dogs of war and Joe Royal at home, and we bloody well lose to them. But what the other interesting thing about this is that when Bates gave us the guided tour, he really did the big sell, and you could see what his vision was. To get people at, you know, in, out of the pub, into the ground, get them in the ground early and spending money inside the ground rather than spending money elsewhere. And like Bates' vision was that all the bars were going to open at 11 o'clock and stay open after the game. Um, the only thing that opened on time was Drake's, but you had to be a CPO member to get in there. But for some bizarre reason, bearing in mind they were building a stand for over 12 months, nobody, and I mean nobody, thought to apply for an alcohol licence. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we open the ground, like you know, to, to Everton, loads of thirsty Chelsea fans, and you can't get a bloody beer till January because some silly sort of forgot to apply for the alcohol license. So, you know, a real missed opportunity there. But it, it was great, like you know, yeah, we were back to four sides of the ground open. But you know, typical Chelsea, we go and lose. Yeah, I know, so typical. We've been doing it for years, and as you said, it was Paul Ryder. Now, did Everton win the cup the year before, or is it this year they win it with the Dogs no, of War it, side? It, it's the Dogs of War side, yeah. and there's a, a real sort of like memorable thing, because remember we said at the start that Tottenham were kicked out of the FA Cup and they were let back in. Yeah. Tottenham get to the FA Cup semi-final this year, and Daniel Amakachi has an absolutely worldy, best ever game for Everton, um, and he puts Tottenham out single-handedly at Ellen Road. I think the time was at Ellen Road. So I think everyone was worried that Tottenham were going to get to the FA Cup final, but clearly they don't because the year doesn't end in one. But yeah, Everton went on to win the Cup 1-0 mm. and Paul Rideout scores the goal. In the Dogs of War final. And and yeah. I remember when I when I, I did a piece, uh, I cut that together for some other programme I made and I cut it to Killing Joke Dogs of War, which seemed very appropriate and nobody had a clue what the music was I was cutting in, but I didn't care. Yeah. It was perfect for it. Uh, right, so uh, we're, eight, we're now 8th, as I said, we're going into December um, and we kicked December off with uh, a 1-0 win away to Southampton in the dingly dongly dell uh, furlong scores wise another assist and then we go to Norwich and we lose 3-0 and uh, that was a bit of a I mean Norwich are a decent side in this time aren't they uh, even though we took their best player uh, Robert Fleck who is very AWOL this season I have to say but uh, excuse me uh, yeah Ashley Ward scores two goals 23 minutes 45 minutes and then Jamie Curitan bloody hell is a name I remember from the past on 88 uh, pretty comprehensively dicked there, I think. Um, would I be right in that? Was anybody silly enough to be? There. You I were there. Yeah. Tell me more, Dane. I did. I think I did. I, I can remember doing Forest away, Southampton away. So I, I did a couple of really good results and good performances. Stupidly, I went to Norwich, which in those days was like going to commentary away as well. And yeah, we got absolutely. Yeah, like you said, 3-0. And I just, I remember, you know, a couple of seasons before going there and losing 2-0. And I think, why do I freaking bother come to these places? It was obvious what was going to happen. And it was crap. <laughs> you can't really say fairer than that, Mark. 
Yeah, I, I agree with Dan. I was there as well. I think the only consolation, we were absolutely dicked that day. Actually, bloody war, Jesus Christ. Yeah, the, the only consolation that day, pre and post match, there's some bloody good pubs in Norwich. Yeah, there's one pub for every day of the year, and I think most Chelsea fans sort of console themselves pre and post match by spending a lot of time in them because we were shockingly bad that day, and we begin to sort of deteriorate for the rest of December. Well, we do. Um, although we do get a draw against Liverpool, nil-nil. Uh, um, the only momentous thing about that, I mean, Mark's notes to me were bore. That's all he said. Apart from the fact that uh, I, I did notice that Dennis Wise hit the post from 20 yards. Uh, and at half-time, some 14-year-old schoolboy called John Terry signed schoolboy forms on the pitch with his mum and Graham Ricks. How about that, JK? Fantastic. Yeah, beginning of, a, of an era. Can I just ask a question? Mm. Was uh, was Rocky Rocastle injured now? Because uh, he, he doesn't figure, does he, very much in uh, the, the rest of the season, for, for, for a period. When Definitely. have we yeah, all seen Rocky? Season, yeah, yeah he, he, he was injured, and I think he then he's back because he certainly plays in the Bruges game. Yeah. Last seen at Tottenham, subbed, subbed on 75 minutes by Craig Burley, so I would hazard a guess he picked up an injury in right. that match but you're right he, he doesn't play at all he's oh no he is he's playing against liverpool uh but he's taken off after 70 so either he's coming back from injury or he gets injured again but uh right. i can't say uh and he doesn't play against united the next match so i would suspect he was injured again uh yeah. now this is a match you mentioned earlier on jk uh the the two the, we lost three two to united at home wasn't no, isn't this the one nil Hughes scores? Isn't this one? No, oh, no, no, you're right. Sorry, no, 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 sorry. Three two. Yeah. Boxing day. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does score Hughes, doesn't they? They're two nil up, aren't they? And that's the trouble is once again we get back to two two, and then we all think, wow, this is great. Are we going to hang on or are we going to win? And then uh, McClare scores towards just near the end of the game, and it's oh no, we've got we've played so well to get back into the game. Um, it was uh, it was such a shame. I found JK. It was similar to like the Arsenal way and the Liverpool way. We had really good spells, but that extra bit of class that these teams had, uh, it just took them over the line. You know, to get back from two-two against United, and they had a good young Roy Keane, and didn't they? They had Cantona. They had, you know, as as we as we saw in the videos, the wily old McClare who used to seem to come on and score. They had Hughes, who was uh, brilliant. He brilliant player and he just just before yeah. obviously you know you know you know we, we we take him off him for some reason they thought he was finished yeah i could just remember that may not game being so frustrating because we've done so well great looping head was that a looping header from eddie newton was that yeah. the, and everyone yeah. was going absolutely yeah, brilliant, mad brilliant header, yeah. went up yeah. the other end and scored yeah. like a couple well minutes. mcclair scores a minute later yeah oh, that was it yeah i knew it was a couple of minutes. few bad karma all so. round mark it's a complete aside. Has everyone read the Pat Nevin book and the, the Brian McClare story in there yet? No, no. Which one? No. no uh, when him and Nevin are away on uh, Scottish national duty and Nevin is sort of like had his sort of football skills used by a marketing company uh, against his will. Andy Roxburgh basically said, Pat, don't make a scene when obviously his, his image is being marketed by this company. So Pat goes back to the table and tells Brian McClare and McClare just basically tells him, well, how much do you think you should have got paid you know, for this piece of work that you haven't got paid for? Uh, and then Brian McClare orders the most expensive bottle of wine on the menu, which is about £2,000. So there you go, Pat, paid in full. Oh, blimey. 
class class. I like that. Yeah, yeah good old Chucky yeah. Chucky McClear. Yeah, look yeah. after your mates. Yeah. He, apparently, I mean, I, I've heard before Pat mentioned how lovely he was in his book that he was one of football's really good guys. Actually, Brian McClear, very un-Man United like for that period of nah. time. Actually, it has to be said. Right, uh, now, we're just getting towards the end of the year, uh, and then we're going to have a, a, a quick... Uh, I'm going to have a, a rub down and a massage and a, and a you know, glass <laughs> of champagne and some caviar, and then we'll come back for part two. But uh, we're rounding it up with another horrible away performance at Villa, where uh, uh, notable, really, mainly for Frank Sinclair, who, as, as we all know and love uh, as Chelsea fans, there has probably never been a Chelsea player with such a penchant for spectacular own goals as our dear old Frank Sinclair. And boy, did he score a worldie against Villa with a diving header. Uh, and then uh, Dwight York, the king of pornography, makes it 2-0. And then Ian Taylor makes it 3-0. Was anybody there? No. Made the right choice nope. with that one, boys. Last match of the year... Uh, was uh, home against Wimbledon and uh, Paul Furlong, great finish for 1-0. Effin Akuku, never has there been such an aptly named footballer. Effin Akuku makes it 1-0 and uh, we finish the year in 10th. So we've kind of like, you know, early doors, we were about 5th and we've kind of slipped down quietly, you know, nobody really noticing to 10th, kind of mid-table uh, mediocrity. I have to say the one interesting thing that Glenn Hoddle says on the season review about this he, he was saying he said well you know our waveform's been really consistent and I'm thinking 3-0 uh, to Villa 0-0 uh, to Liverpool 3-0 to Norwich 3-1 uh, to Liverpool you know what what, what sorry 3-1 to Liverpool yeah yeah. yeah. What, 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 what are you talking about Glenn but there you go what do I know I'm not paid the bucks here's right as I said we are going to have a. they were consistent they were just losing a lot weren't they yeah indeed maybe that's what he meant maybe I misread it we were consistently rubbish away, but uh, actually the reality was we weren't that good at home. I don't think we uh, we we did too well at home, really, from kind of late October, as I was reading somewhere. I'll go and have a tot up in the break. Uh, we are going to go to a break, as I said before. That, I just want to remind you all uh, that we have this thing called Patreon, uh, which means if you like what we do, particularly these shows, of course, um, but actually really mainly throughout the whole season, you can become a a Chelsea fancast patron, which helps me cover the costs of uh, putting all the shows on and continuing to do that. Um, and it's easy. I mean, we're not, we don't have tiers or anything like that. You can just donate whatever you want. Quid a month. I don't mind whatever you want. It's really, it's, it's just to show your appreciation really. And uh, you pay it every month and uh, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast. And if you do that, Number one, uh, you can get a link to our Discord group where we have a lot of fun, a lot of people in there chatting on match days and the like. Good way to get hold of us, of course. And, of course, you get a Kerry Dixon mini banner as well uh, when I get a new shipment from the States, that is. And, of course, don't forget, we've got our Premier League Predictions League coming up soon. Uh, so watch out. I will be sending out details on our social media platforms about how you can join in with that because that's it was such a lot of fun last season. So uh, the more the merrier on that. We will... Be refreshed in a minute after our break and we will join you there. 